and welcome to World in Union, Balsali's weekly rugby show, getting an outside perspective on Irish rugby and the game itself. I'm Mick McCarthy, joined as always by the pound shop, Charlie Morgan, <laughs> himself, Morris Brosnan. How are you, Morris? Great, Mick, yeah, how about you? Ah, grand, you know, not too bad. A, a win for Ireland um, at the weekend, Finally, got us yeah. back on track. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it in a few minutes. Maybe not like the greatest news. We're not exactly like dancing on the rooftops or anything no. like that, but... You know, we, we, we're okay, we're okay. We're, we're in a better place than we were this time last week. Yeah, it's probably closer to the England performance than it is the New Zealand performance, but that's not the worst thing in the world either. No, definitely not, yeah. We'll, well, we'll get into the match in detail. We're also uh, delighted to have a very interesting guest on today. We're going to talk to Max McFarland, who plays for the Scottish Sevens in the HSBC HSBC World Sevens uh, series, which is something I'm interested in talking about in itself. A very interesting um, concept of has been going on a long time, and Ireland hoping to get into the top table of that. But what's interesting about Max is Max is not originally from Scotland. He is originally from Ireland. Um, went to school in Clongowes, was in the Leinster Academy, and we're going to talk to him just about how he did end up. He plays for the Glasgow Warriors, and he plays for the Scotland Sevens, and we're going to talk just exactly about how Max got over. Um, to Glasgow and how he ended up playing international rugby for Scotland um, and lots more as well. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit more about the rest of the Six Nations. Morris is going to give you his rolling team of the Six Nations. How many changes? There is four, I think. Four changes? Yeah. after. Okay, so this is like the, you know, that that's not very much actually for just two weeks. Yeah, I guess the, like the, of rugby. what would persist is like the spines of teams. Like while a lot, like I think Wales made 10 changes, but the like halfback partnerships or centre partnerships kind of stayed kind of similar. So given like yeah, a he's massive hint away. away. Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit as well about um, poor old France. Uh, we were surprised before in our talks before the start of the tournament that they were fifth favourites yeah. to win the tournament. Turns out there was a reason and everybody knew what they were talking about except those uh, France bloody awful. Yeah, like at the weekend. Chaotic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, so we'll get into a little bit of that. But Ireland did get off the mark. I mean, there's a time when going to Murrayfield, something they didn't do two years ago, win comfortably. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I guess so. But definitely unspectacularly. I would say a pretty boring game, turgid. It felt like it went on for a long time. And, you know, ultimately we won and we're kind of in the championship somehow, but still nowhere near the Ireland of 2018. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose, I think, like we spoke with this last week, Ireland generally warm up slowly into these tournaments. So it's not, you know, necessarily panic stations either. But there's definitely a, like this trend, this, a word you just used there that's been used a lot when in relation to this Ireland team is boring. Like mm. I think it's becoming increasingly more often. And I actually think it's down to the way teams are beating Ireland now is the likes of... England did it last week. Uh, Scotland tried to do it, and I think Scotland tried to do it illegally. Whereas, even if you look at last week or last year, sorry, the way Australia eventually beat Ireland, it's by slowing down the ball massively. So Australia do it. Pocock basically mm. is the main weapon of that. England do it by these kind of really explosive players like Wilson and Vinopola, and then Scotland do it just by lying like on all sides of the Irish ball and kind of <laughs> what seemingly ignoring it or not, yeah. like, like not trying to police that. But that's a problem for them because they're such a control freak driven team. You know what I mean? That they yeah. re- they really want to demand possession, and then if they don't have it on their own terms, like Ireland looks slow, but it's it's that's a deliberate thing. So we look slow and also inaccurate at times, and I wonder is that but, yeah. connected to what you're saying that that comes from frustration? It comes from people possibly not doing the assigned roles. Like last week, we sat here and blamed Conor Murray 
uh, for passes that went to ground. Whereas I'm watching this week and I'm wondering, are guys not where they're supposed to be? Because he's not that inaccurate that he's throwing the ball seven yards behind a player, you know. And there was that, obviously, there was that phase in the second half where Ireland were on the line and went back to the 22 and gave away a a penalty for Mm -hmm. holding on. It was just, it was so frustrating because it was still a game at that stage and, you know, Carberry hadn't launched his magic to kind of seal it off with Earl's try. But, you know, we were at this stage where you're like, what are you doing? Where, Where is, what is this crap, you know? Yeah. It just didn't feel like... It felt like old Irish rugby. And it's funny, like, I guess, uh, even yesterday I was reading a lot of the papers and, like, the Irish, you know, the Irish papers was a definite sense of kind of taking positives from this game and there was positives there as well. And then the English papers were pretty critical of the Irish, what they saw. Yeah. And I think the the truth is probably somewhere in between. Like, there was some amazing, the strike play, for example, for Stockdale strike. Like, the, the, like this is the, like, Schmitz is often compared to, like, Fast chess, that's a word that's used. And this is that in action. Like, there's elements of that that we wouldn't even comprehend. Like, mm. I wouldn't be one bit surprised if that try was actually devised for Roy Best to score, that Roy Best was the target. But it's just that Finn Russell covering across fell asleep, so that Scottsdale ended up running that in. But there was elements of that. Like, there was, if you watch it back, Furlong is at the front of the rook before O'Mahony swings the ball back to Sexton. And he's ste- deliberately, take, I think, taking a step beyond it. And I actually think he did that to slow anyone trying to drift across to cover that inside channel I think that was devised I, would, I wouldn't be one bit surprised like, yeah. I think there's, there's elements of that that we wouldn't even comprehend that it just shows to show like the mastermind that is Joe Smith behind them yeah. and so that, that's like a really encouraging thing to see that's something this is kind of unfair to say but that's something that we would love to see more from Munster those kind of like you can't expect them to devise as creative strike plays but yeah. something like that to fall back on if in those situations on the other hand then there's your loose play like and in the t- all those control scenarios Ireland were Brilliant. Like they're 100% in the lineup, 100% in the scrum. Yeah. Those kind of controls. It's what you're concerned might be the wrong word, but what you'd question is their kind of some more of their loose play, like their ability to, as they're racking up phases, they just don't seem really seem to be going anywhere. You know, no. there's, there seems to be no, and like a lot of that is down to teams working out how Ireland want to play, and all of a sudden they're becoming. Like it's this is the thing you know you're 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 a target. You're, this you're this is exactly it. This is a hundred percent what I like. I just think, and we talked about it last week, and we kind of figured it was you know a, a short term thing. And like, there's a part of me that thinks, like, is is this? Do we just go out on purpose with the 2018 game plan for the 2019 Six Nations because we don't want to have to do it again before the World Cup? And there's a part of me that likes that, you know. But we can't. Our exit strategy can't be a Conor Murray box kick all the time. Yeah. It's easy to defend against when you know it's coming for a fact and you've watched two years of tape on it. So why doesn't Johnny Sexton or Joey Carberry have long clearances, you know, to, you know, a a defense that's expecting a box kick that's not going to go as far? Why don't we run it and maybe kick it from the centers? Yeah. You know, like, you know, in in the day, maybe a second pass and Brian O'Driscoll might launch a kick to the opposite corner. You know, there's just other ways of doing it. There's a, you know, that, that a team has to sell out for the run then. The wingers come up, suddenly you have a lot of space in, in behind. It's just vary things up a little bit. Conor Murray is, I've, uh, he's a shell of the player that we know. And a lot of that is because the entire exit strategy of our defense is, are, are, you know, is based on his kicks that he's not kicking well. And it's affecting the rest of his game as well, I think. Yeah, and I also, I think like the, Scotland did exactly what England tried to do. So they kicked to the side that he's not as suited to, like Kahitera's wing. Yeah. And that, like, simultaneously, that takes out your best kick chaser. And it also 
forces him to kick on you know if he's a right footed kicker and he's kicking from that side he's not kicking across his body which you would like to get more kind of hang time on it it's one of those it's a difficult it's a, like a short side kick and because of that there was times when he was box kicking the ball and actually taking a step backwards to try and work a better angle for himself which in a way is kind of second guess himself and in a scenario like that you just have to move the ball to your 10 and exit from there yeah. like the, the, and I actually think see a lot of this is about like there's a like all coaches talk about like like a picture you know like if you're painting a picture you want to change the picture Fear in a defensive line, like wh- wh- what they mean by that is that if Conor Murray looks up, sees something, looks down, goes to kick the ball, and he's looking at a different picture. So you'd make him second guess himself. I think teams are starting to do that now. Like they're starting to put a number eight in the backfield so that mm. he's second guessing himself when he looks up, or dropping two men into your backfield so that you've got a 14 and 11, and they're going to counter really strongly. And you don't yeah. want to give them that platform. And that makes him second guess himself. And suddenly he's kicking kicks longer, way longer than he needs to, or he's going straight to touch against like he actually got unlucky in the, in the Scotland game I actually think that ball didn't go straight out the one that came off the winger yeah. on his chest but th- th- that's all that is down to him I think slightly second guessing the because there's a framework like and I, and I think he just needs a little bit of help then like you know and yeah, it's like yeah. it can't just all be on him and it's like I mean I, I'm sorry but nothing ever stays the same for this long in rugby the box kick was so effective year a year ago mm-hmm. now really not even so much in november it was like he wasn't there but it wasn't working out as well for us anyway as that tactic but it's like the only thing we go for nothing stays the same people are able to figure it out you need to adjust uh one more slight negative would be that i think you know our 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 phase play is just a little bit too lethargic and yeah, and, and, sure. and and you know it's true to phase and not not enough magic not enough kind of effort in there from like what we saw from the Stockdale try as you say but I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we're just again inviting line speed to just put us under pressure and we're not available for those loops and we're not and Scotland aren't a very good team you know and they still put us under a lot of pressure for that but we should move on to some positives though because you know you take out a lot of what's wrong with the Irish team and it's weirdly considering we've probably got the best coach in the world it seems to be about game plan but what's still there is a lot of as you said set piece absolutely perfect stole a lot of line out ball as well um the defensive structure just except for you know an interception really doesn't doesn't let itself down no. at all um the the holding out before half time there was just classic Ireland yeah you know it was absolutely superb play from like you know Earl's got a lot of the credit but from basically most of the players on the pitch you know um and then what you also had was like the likes of Carney coming in playing well the back three just being a lot more solid in general all playing pretty well yeah you know both the wingers getting a try Carney making a few line breaks which we haven't really seen from him in a couple of years despite doing everything else so well and then what you had as well was you had what we've been calling for it came by accident but the new number 10 getting some game time and really showing the stuff so he made a terrible mistake that cost us a try but he set one up 100% on his own his pass to Earl's was just something that we don't see from an Irish team. That's something you expect from a New Zealander, maybe England, that they're very, very best. You expect the guy who's just not got the legs to get to the line to be tackled yeah. and for us to reset, possibly get over in the next play. You don't expect the ter- the, the over-the-shoulder, off-the-bad-side, 15-yard pass to the oncoming winger. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it was just brilliant. Yeah, and I get, like... I actually had somebody on Twitter came back when I was like live-tweeting this game and was saying, you know it's not a skill like every 10 should be expected to do that or every professional rugby should be expected to do that and if that was the case 
nobody would ever get caught in the line because they'd always be able to spin the ball. The reason that that is a professional skill is because very few players can pass left-handed without actually seeing the runner in yeah. the byline of at full pace and pick him out. He didn't yeah, slow down off his bad hand with two players nearing in on him. I also think this is like this. I kind of like loathe to suggest this. This won't happen, and like Josh Schmidt, there's absolutely no question that it will happen. But something that is a potential option at some point for this Irish team I think is instead of what you were talking about which is your 10 becoming your decision maker having like a second 10 or what you, like the way England play with Slade mm. and putting someone like Carberry in at centre it's not going to happen because he's not going to get game time there and it's not in their plan but I think the idea but like that, Owen Farrell at 12 when Ford was in there yeah England, exactly yeah, yeah. like th- that kind of like see the reason that partnership didn't fail isn't because of the system it was because of the individuals it was individual failures who were in that and Ford just looked devoid of confidence by the end of it but you see with Slade like Slade can use his boot really really effectively Bundy actually stood in a first receiver a lot over the last two games and like he just doesn't have the same kind of kicking game so it's there's no more predictable. There. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas I think like somebody like Carberry can offer that like he's he's kind of got a like he's got the ability that is so priceless now in modern rugby, which is to kick the corners, the re- like re- look up and you all of a sudden your you know wingers are becoming more honest and things like that. That it's just, like, it's not going to happen, but it's just something that I I think it is worth kind of bearing in mind that that's a, that's an idea, that's a variation within your this phenomenal centre partnerships that we have. He's yeah. another one who might be able to sit in there. Outside of players that might pop up into your team of the tournament, um, so far, like I thought. You know, who stood out for you? Like, just picking a couple at random. I thought we mentioned the back three. I thought Chris Farrell in the first half yeah. looked at international centre again, you know, yeah. and I think he faded from the game a little bit. But again, just kind of did a lot, you know, and he's a good player and you forget that it's only a year ago that he was winning Man of the Match awards in the Six Nations before he got injured. Um, I thought we we mentioned Carberry. I think in the back row, Peter Matney's obviously great. I think, you know, you're looking at Sean O'Brien there going, he does have to be in when he's fit, doesn't he? Yeah. He's just yeah. he's just too good. And, um, you know, Keane Healy is just an uh, absolute beast at the yeah, moment. Yeah, he's, pheno- he? like, he's just phenomenal. Like, the, in like so many different ways. Like, obviously, the pres- like the Rook in, I think they're actually, he really has present trouble. There was a stage where the Scotland flankers, I was tweeting about this yesterday, the Scotland flankers were binding the way Peter Matney was. And I actually think they're doing that to try and pin in their, their props under so much pressure. There's like, I need a, an eight-man push, like a full lockdown. Like, it's like a third, for people who didn't see this, you can read about it on Voz, about Peter Matney doing it, but it was like a, a third second row. So it's, you know, it's the bind under the prop's leg as opposed to across the second row's back. It's illegal, but it's very rarely picked up. Like, a referee is always focused on what's happening in the front three. He's not going to care about that. I think that's to counter somebody like Healy, who's scrummaging ability is just phenomenal like he re- and but besides that besides the stuff what he does in the tight like his there was a, his rook it's funny you see I think they're actually he's gotten to a stage where he's rooking if Ireland have a set move they've got a three man clear out but if it's Healy it's nearly two man because mm-hmm. he's, he's so explosive in that ability it's just such quick ball which as I said we were saying earlier is so important like I think his resurgence from that point in uh, in 2015 when he he needed retirement. He looked like, finished, it, yeah. yeah. And it's the, it's it's great to it, see. And absolutely. It's funny, we were talking about it this morning. We were like, how does Keane Healy go from, you know, being the the kind of replacement prop? But you're kind of forgetting that when Keane Healy was at his best, it's not a new thing that oh, he's, he's a phenomenal world-class, world-class yeah, player. Yeah. Like, he always has been mm-hmm. when he's been fit. So it's just great to see that he's getting, uh, you know, a real sustained run of fitness yeah. as well. Like, and, and he's shown that he's getting better all the time. Like, lastly, before we move off this, because I want to talk to Max, I want to talk about the rest of the games like what was your thoughts on Scotland they were disappointing weren't they like you know 
we keep waiting for Scotland to take that next step and to try. We think they have a good coach now in Townsend. The clubs have got their act together. They've got some good players. They've got Finn Russell playing really well in Europe for for Racing. They have like in fairness, the one thing we were talking Ireland should were do not do under any circumstance in this game was kick it down Stuart Hogg's throat and it's exactly what we did for the first 10 minutes until he got injured and was yeah. taken out of it and that's kind of like you understand how a team like Scotland can't handle losing their only world class player but even so so many unforced errors and they kind of took themselves out of the game and they made that second half really tough to watch for a spectator's point that's of view that's like the I would actually argue that the only consistent thing about this Scotland team over the last kind of 16 months has been their inconsistency like a team that <laughs> lost to USA their away form has been abysmal yeah. has been absolutely abysmal they I know like they still there's every possibility like we could write off Scotland out. They had have one massive performance in the Six Nations. It's probably likely because they've got like Finn Russell is an unbelievable player. Like he's the, yeah. and they've got several of those kind of like magicians, players who would unlock your thing. But there's no there's absolutely no consistency across that. And because of that, like that's that's why you started, you know, in the second half you start to doubt yourself and the game starts sipping away. Like there was a real team about I was reading over the, some Scotland's reaction to this game. Oh, this is one that got away. Like it can't be got away because if you can pr- routinely put yourself in that position and let it slip, th- it's more than just one game. Like it's more than just one individual area. There's a so much more fundamental to that that's wrong in your in your system, and like that's where you, I think you need to fix your you know your your emphasis on. That's where you need to look at. It's not like it's, you can't just dismiss this as one off one underperformance because there's something bigger than that. Yeah, yeah. Like they performed against an, like, and it, I think it's important again to go back to an Irish point of view very briefly. I think it's important to couch anything we're talking about in Ireland's performance with the fact that Scotland were poor. Yeah. And, you know, other than maybe the last kind of 15 minutes of the first half, they didn't really turn up on the day and they didn't test us in the second half. Now, I personally think that Ireland would have been up to the test. I think that they, Ireland would have found something. Sure. And I thought they had enough of the ball. And, and for the second half, you know, about the, 25 minutes of the second half was the first time in both games so far the Six Nations that we had any territory. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't there in the first half and, and, and Ireland definitely didn't answer many questions um, on Saturday and I think that's probably the most important thing and we're probably not going to against Italy in two weeks either so we're no. going to wait nearly a month until... And God only knows what France what awaits <laughs> us with France, you know. So you could... Like, we could be going to Cardiff still not knowing what went wrong against England because that, and I think that's important to know like we got like Scott it, it is important to talk about Scotland but from an Irish point of view they were poor and we just got over the line against them really you know yeah I, I, Joe Smith I think said it best when he said like they basically kind of muscled their way through it and I think that's probably right like they yeah as we said earlier like tight was good loose definitely wasn't yeah a much better team so you would expect them to be able to do that but um someone who might know a little bit more about uh scottish rugby than ourselves is um max mcfarland who's a scottish sevens international and a player with the glasgow warriors and i'm delighted to say he joins us now max how are you thanks for joining us oh very good thank you thank you for having me thank you no, it's, it's great to have you. Look, before we kind of jump into your own story, your career and the Scotland Sevens, um, there was a bit of a game on uh, in Murrayfield on Saturday. You, obviously, a Scottish uh, Sevens international, play for Glasgow, uh, but people will have already see, heard your uh, Irish accent. So, easiest question of the day, who are you supporting on Saturday? <laughs> um, I was neutral. I was neutral on the day. Uh, my, heart was, my heart was supporting Ireland and... Uh, the peer pressure around me was making me support Scotland, but it was an easy game to go to actually because 
whoever won, I'd I'd have been pretty happy. But <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was kind of going for Ireland, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, fair, <laughs> fair enough. We might talk a little bit about about that game and 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 kind of um, what you what you you made of it. But um, just your own story. Like, I mean, you you um, obviously you went to you're Irish. You're from Ireland. You went to school in Clongos. You were in the Leinster Academy. How do you end up playing international rugby for Scotland? So yeah, first of all, like my granddad uh, Tom Laidlaw, he's he's a proud Scotsman, and um, that's that's the initial connection. And then I was yeah, as you say, I was I was a Leinster boy through and through. And uh, um, but early on, my my avenue in Ireland was kind of closed off. Um, just because I never made that Ireland 20 squad and uh, all the academies are kind of are kind of picked from that. And uh, I was told at the time that I was I was too small to play to play rugby and professional rugby, and which has been a massive motivator for me. Um, but but yeah, luckily I, I stuck at it. And uh, <laughs> after my performances in the AIL, I got I got called in to play for Scotland Sevens uh, by Scott Johnson and Callum McRae, and mm, okay. uh, I was I was. I was capped, capped by Scotland at the time, and um, and that that was kind of that was kind of how I initially got in over into Scotland over um, across, and um, and then when I was over there, I basically got offered a contract with Edinburgh, and uh, and I, I I couldn't take it. I had to turn it down, and I had to come back into Ireland and finish my studies back in, over in Ireland, and. Uh, um once once i finished once i finished my degree and my season with trinity uh, i i basically wanted to go professional after that and yeah sorry it's, it's a long story i'm trying to i'm trying to uh, trying to can <laughs> like no worries it a lot easier it is an interesting one though you know because it, it, it's a path that i think not many people will take and it's it, it's interesting like we've talked to a couple of people on this show who've gone kind of like you know further afield to be a professional rugby player and it's great that ireland are producing the kind of players that can do that but it is it, it, it's certainly more interesting one to go to what would be considered another top tier nation and we'll get into kind of the differences between sevens um and everything in in a couple of minutes but moving to scotland it, it's funny it's like a, like a rugby culture that we probably know well but would still be i think probably foreign to us once we kind of got into it you know what i mean is there is the, is is that something that you kind of found strange to adapt to once you were over there you know a lot, a lot of players obviously have the same the same issue when they go to different clubs um i mean i mean i guess for me it was it was a bit different in that in that when when i went over there it was the ireland sevens wasn't there so that, that avenue for me was kind of closed off and and obviously Scotland had quite an established sevens team at the time. And, and, um, I, I, I'm obviously a, quite a small player. So, so for me to make a mark, make my mark on, on the professional stage or you know, at a higher level to AIL, I, I needed to make, make another step up. And, um, and for me, that pathway was always sevens. Cause I, I it was, it was something I was quite good at from, from a young age and, uh, and uh, l- luckily, it's 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 really helped me show show what I can do. And um, but yeah, the, the opportunity basically came came about because to to go over to play with Scotland. Um, I basically after after my degree in Trinity, I got I got offered a, a dual contract with um, uh, Munster and the Irish Sevens. And wow. uh, but 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 to play for Munster, I, I obviously. I, had to be Irish qualified and to play for the Irish sevens, I obviously had to be Irish qualified, but 
three years before that, I'd been capped by Scotland um, in the in the Scottish Sevens, the Scottish Sevens in the Grand Prix, the European tournaments, and uh, and but, but like we we did our research basically, and uh, we we found a loophole, and uh, I hadn't played for Scotland for three years, and because Sevens is an Olympic an Olympic sport, and uh, I was actually able to requalify to play for Ireland and be Irish qualified in the 15s game by just playing for the Ireland sevens team, if you get me. And, uh, and, uh, I just, I just had to, I basically just had to play three Olympic qualifying competitions on the series, um, for Ireland. And then I'd been eligible to be an Irish qualified player again. Um, but the only problem was, is that Ireland, Ireland aren't on the series and they obviously they're going leaps and bounds. They've got a class sevens team, but, that that Hong Kong tournament's absolutely brutal. That you have to you have to win it. You have to um, win the competition to get into the series. And and my God, it was heartbreaking watching them play the last time. Mark Roach dropped. Uh, sorry, not Mark, I don't know, boys basically it, like they were over the line and, mm. and like it was it was heartbreaking. Like they literally they they literally um, they had the game won. They had the game won, and they were, they were by a mile the best team. And uh, I, I think they'll qualify this year. I, they, they're, they're absolutely class, but, but they weren't on the series at the time. So I couldn't actually play the three tournaments I needed to, to become Irish qualified and, and get back into the Ireland system. Um, but it didn't quite work out, but like, I have to thank uh, Nusafara, Felix Jones and Anthony Eddy uh, for, for the effort they put in to try to get me back into the Irish system and, to, uh, and I absolutely love Munster as well. It's a, it a class club. It's, it's mm. honestly amazing. Um, but yeah, but fortunately or unfortunately for me, um, I, I got a call then from Dave Rennie in Glasgow and John Dalziel, and they called me back over to Glasgow, and they basically wanted me to continue down the Scottish route. Max, I suppose, like, I'm wondering to what extent would the message that you were told when you were too small would have been a motivating factor, like to go to make the decision to go into the AIL and kind of develop there was was a pretty brave one, especially after being not selected for the Irish twenties. Was that something that was in the back of your mind while you were while you were cutting your teeth there? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's it's always it's always uh, at the back of my mind because because obviously rugby's rugby's getting that way. The boys yeah. are getting a lot bigger, and it's very rare that you see kind of lads my size get through but i mean i've done my best i've gone from being 70 kilos to 85 kilos now and uh, um so and and yeah no absolutely like i, I remember that happened and it was absolutely heartbreaking for me because I, I obviously always had dreams of playing for ireland and and and, and doing my best and, and it all seemed to be going my way up until literally up until that point and um and obviously because I, I was a, I was a scrum half all the way up and up until uh, up until Ireland twenties, and and I basically had Luke McGrath and Dave Shanahan ahead of me. Okay, yeah. And, and then and then Noel McNamara and uh, and Gervin Dempsey basically they they saw that I was quite good, like quite good in the back three. So I moved I moved to being a, a fifteen slash winger with Clongos and and uh, thing. But but obviously I was I was always a scrum half up until then. But but. Uh, yeah, it just it didn't quite work out for me, and yeah, it, it is. It's a massive motivator for me that the the um, the uh, being being told I was, wasn't physical enough and too small, and I wouldn't be able to play professional rugby. You say 
Maxi always likes sevens, and it's just an interesting game to me. It's something that I'd always like to watch more of, and I've seen it live a few times, and it's so, it's so exciting. But it just, as you know, in Ireland, it just doesn't get that kind of um, that. Uh, real kind of coverage and, and, and sort of sense of importance in the media and everything else. I remember I was in Kenya a couple of years ago and they had a really big win. They beat um, they beat one of the top teams. It might have even been New Zealand in one of, in one of the, the series. And my God, it was absolutely huge. Like, I mean, it was it was on in every bar and, and, and it was just this, being treated as the top form of the game. And obviously that is coming into the Olympics and that's going to be more of a, of a thing going forward. But like for you, as a sevens player, like versus the fifteens game you were at Murrayfield on Saturday, what are the virtues of it? Like, what is it that we should be paying more attention to and should be watching a little bit more of it going going forward as it becomes an Olympic sport? No, I mean, yeah, I absolutely love the sevens game. It's it's class, and I, I think it needs to be. It needs to actually get away from being the little brother of of fifteens yeah. because. At the moment, it's still kind of used as a development avenue, and, and luckily for me, that was that was perfect for me. I was I, I needed that 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 um, spot to to thrive in, but but um, but you know I, I absolutely love it, and I, I think the major differences between them are, are that it's it's um, it's the resilience and the endurance of it. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you have to be so fit, and uh, uh, it's it's. I, I, your skills are under constant pressure and like there's there's very few places to hide on the pitch you know what i mean you're, you're constantly under under the spotlight you have to be you have to be ready the whole 14 minutes through do you know what i mean yeah your 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 passings under the spotlight you're tackling everything it's it's a lot more there's a lot more finer margins and and like any mistake any mistake you make is is going to be seven points down the other end do you know what i mean and um it's also tactically very different to 15s, I find. Uh, just it's just interesting seeing the different tactics of the different teams. Like the Kenyans, the Kenyans uh, are are very very aggressive at the rooks at the breakdown. They go very. We're we're, we're quite a. Um, we we basically starve teams of possession. We 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 hold hold the ball for ages. Um, and um, it's it's just interesting seeing the different tactics. And like USA are very good at restart time and. They're also very defensive, defensively good, and they obviously have those rapid boys and Perry Baker and Carlin Isles, the uh, professional sprinters. And um, I, I, I think I, I also think like it's easier, it's easier to go from uh, sevens to fifteens than from fifteens to sevens. There's a lot no, more. Really? Yeah, just just from my, from my personal experience, like. Um, like, yeah, there's a lot of space. So you kind of think that actually it'd be quite easy to go from 15s to sevens if you're if you're a winger. But it's just it's like the little things. There's there's so many little minor details that yeah that um that like you have to get used to. Like even even like I, you'd have to learn how to throw in the line out, how to like as a, <laughs> a, a ju- jump in the line out. Do you know what I mean and and like um. Yeah, it's just you have to cover that space as well as exploit it as well. So that's uh, that makes it a lot harder um, for as a defender. Yeah, um, it, it's as I said, it's it, it's fascinating to me. It's something that we've me, myself and Morris have even been talked about trying to watch more of these series. And I know um, you, you you know 
you guys have basically started off this year quite well. You were um, up there, uh, like getting 12, 13 points from the, from the first four. And then you were in Sydney last week um, and it, it didn't really go well. I think you guys finished last, but um, I don't know what went wrong specifically there. But in general, you guys have been competitive and kind of in the sort of the top eight for, for the majority of the season so far. Yeah, yeah. No, and... and um... I mean, I think that just shows you as well. That's a perfect example of the fine margins and sevens. Is it was it was the same team from from New Zealand to Hamilton. We came fifth in New Zealand and then end up coming sixteenth, dead last in in Sydney. And um, yeah, and like every game, every game comes down to every game's exciting. It comes down to like the last minute or, um, but yeah, in ter- as you say, in terms of our team, we've been going really well. We've been we've been going class. Like um, and our team seems to have a particular knack for coming back and winning games after after like basically being down and out we're, um we're, we're we're quite good at like coming back we're like the comeback team and in the world actually like one of my favorite memories um uh, is at the world cup against kenya we we basically uh we beat we beat the kenyans after being 21 points down with only three minutes three minutes to go we drew it up um and i think there's only 30 seconds left we drew it up and uh and then, and then we basically ended up winning the game 26-21. And it was actually, it was just absolutely crazy. Like, it, it was like the quarterfinal of the World Cup. It was such a good memory. Yeah. Uh, and um, and then, like, it's, it's just a cool sport as well. It's like just traveling around the world, you know, with your mates as well. It's, it's just, it's good. It's like, yeah. So for yeah. people who don't know, like obviously, as you said, like the, you know, there, there's going to be a relegation system, and 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 like Ireland will try to get into this eventually, and obviously, a, a lot of our, our our viewers and our listeners will probably see a lot more of it if, if if Ireland do get into it. But it's 16 teams who basically travel the world every three or four weeks. There's a there's a, another tournament. You're playing the same teams all the time. It's international rugby constantly. You're going to all these amazing places in the world, and it's a series that lasts throughout the year. It's a f- fascinating and really interesting concept. I kind of do wonder, you know, like, is there a kind of a sevens community there almost? Like, I mean, do you guys stay in the same places as the, the Fijians and the New Zealanders, and you all kind of hang out together as a big kind of, like, uh, traveling troupe? Mm. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It's a bit like that. I mean, we're all in the same hotels. We see each other every day. Do you know what I mean? And, but yeah. there, there, there also is that competitive aspect. So, so you can't really be always with them and stuff. But, but no, we get on very well with the English, the Welsh, and uh, and also the Irish once they once they get onto the series. Uh, but no, there's definitely that camaraderie because you're all doing the same thing, and there's that respect as well. After you get to know each other quite well and your opponent really well, because obviously you're you're analysing them and uh and you see them every day so so it's it's it definitely is um interesting in that regard and and uh and and, and then as you say like there's, there's a big there's a big fan base as well there's, especially the fijians the fijians just travel everywhere honestly like it's it's crazy like every tournament you go to there's fijians and, and the kenyans likewise there's always support for them and it's usually like half the stadium's fijian it's just it's mental <laughs> Um, and, 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 and like speaking of as well is any rugby fan any rugby fan watching sevens needs to watch um, Fiji in, yeah. in a cup in a cup final I mean honestly it's mesmerising to watch like you have to have respect for that like they're, they're such big men so elusive and 
and the skills they have in their offloads is it's just class to watch and so you have to do it like like and and, and they, they they tear apart they tear apart teams that are like when they're on their game and and, and they want to win they they absolutely tear apart teams from New Zealand from South Africa and 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 you're just watching like like top teams being being just destroyed by these unbelievable Fijians it's it's just incredible to watch Max, do you find the transition from 7-15 trying to balance both difficult? Like, and even not just in terms of kind of physically managing workload, but also like mentally? Um, from 15s to 7s, yeah, the transition, yeah, I, I definitely found it difficult. I, like, I, I found it difficult um, initially just, like, one of the main things I struggled with coming into the 7s was just the the, the toll it takes on, on your body and and. Okay, and, yeah. and all, and, and also also mentally because like you're playing six games in a weekend do you know what i mean so so it's like you play 14 minutes and then then you basically have to you have to um do all the warm-up and stuff and then you have the second game and the third game and then and then obviously you're waking up the next day and you have another three games and and like like it, it, that's tough physically but then it also takes it out of you mentally because like imagine if you've lost if you've lost all your top in first three games and then you're waking up on the second day and you have to get yourself up for that game the fourth day like it's 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 just it's something that i didn't quite um the 15s doesn't prepare you for on the sevens but sure. uh, but but i mean one of the best things about that is it, it also like builds that camaraderie with your teammates do you know what i mean like you're going through thick and thin and it just creates a real bond between between you and um and, and that's one of the things i really enjoy about sevens um, Why do you think Ireland have been so far behind? If you look at, as you mentioned, the 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 three British teams are are all there. France are there. All the top Southern Hemisphere teams are there, as well as like Fiji and Kenya, who is probably the number one um, former rugby four. Why do you think that Ireland are, are so late getting to the party as the only top tier nation that aren't involved or that weren't involved? I su- I should probably clarify. So, so um, because sevens was was seen as kind of the little brother to fifteens, a, a lot of a lot of top tier like the nations, the the unions um, were were thinking about scrapping scrapping their sevens teams, and 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 uh, that's something Ireland did. I think Felix Jones plays in that last tournament um, for the Irish sevens, and and uh, then they pulled the Irish sevens team from the series, and and. Um, and and the, then since that decision, they've been they basically been working their way up for the last four years. So yeah. Nusafara Nusuf, came in, and uh, he's done a tremendous job. He's obviously Australian, and he, he loves sevens. So he he came in and um, revamped the whole sevens, and, and he's he's basically taken the view to get them qualified for the Olympics, qualified for the series, and that's been a four year process. And they're hoping to they're hoping to qualify last year, obviously in Hong Kong and. They had that heartbreak with uh, they had that heartbreak against Japan in the semi-final, which mm. they really should have won. And um, and um, and and I, I guess I guess they're not like the the truth truth of the answer is they're not they're not miles behind. They're they're actually better than a lot of the teams on the series at the moment, okay. especially especially since last year last year um, one of the qualify a qualifier team gets to go on the series. Um, has to play two series each leg and they're the european qualifier if okay. you get if, if you get me and yeah. uh and they um they basically came third in one of the series and like they were they're absolutely they're class they're a class team they just 
it's just that Hong Kong tournament's absolutely brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. Always hard to get out of that second tier, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I suppose without without an Irish team, at least in the in the top tier for a while, we have we we can we can all shout on Scotland for at least another season anyway. Uh, Max, yeah. So you're you're in um you're in Vegas next to the start of March. So um how many more rounds are there to go then? It's like the 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 tour of the world continues for another couple of months yet. Yeah, so we're we're basically four four legs in and we have six more to go. So we have um Vegas, Vancouver, um and then after that Hong Kong. Hong Kong's the big one. Hong Kong yeah. every, like that's class. Um and uh and then we have singapore london and paris so so we're not we're not even halfway through yet um but uh we're 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 basically our goal is to finish top six top six this year and we're coming seventh at the moment so we're pretty happy with where we're at and uh we we just need to avoid any more sydney's (laughs) very good very good well listen max uh yeah avoid sydney in uh, las vegas and try not to enjoy yourself too much over there you know um <laughs> I, I don't know how much time you get off but um i'm sure you'll have a little bit of fun anyway but obviously best luck in the rest of the series including the next one in march and uh, we'll definitely be watching out for you as uh, we don't have an irish team to to cheer on there so we but we do have an irish player um on the scotland team uh, actually before we let you go you were at murrayfield on saturday i just mentioned it there briefly um you know, you you were saying you were neutral. Ireland, obviously, we've talked about it at, at length here. What did you make of the, of the Scotland performance? Uh, like, it seemed to us anyway that there was like there was some chances for them to get a little bit more into the game that they didn't quite take in the second half. Yeah, I, I think I think Scotland would be frustrated with how they played. There was a, a lot of mistakes, um, and uh, for a Six Nations game especially. But I, I think I think Ireland frustrated them a bit and. Uh, um, I, I think in general, in, in general, um, Scottish rugby's in a really good place, though. Um, I mean, and I think a lot of that's to do with the coaches that have been brought in. Um, mm. uh, with uh, Gregor Townsend doing a class job, and then obviously Edinburgh and Glasgow like have gone from strength to strength, and they, they've got Dave Rennie in with Glasgow, and he just brought that attacking style. And uh, Cockrell and Callum McRae, the defensive coach in, in Edinburgh, that they've done honestly a superb job in just making. Edinburgh is so hard to beat, and they're they're an absolute dog of a team. And um, I think, I think, I, I think that's played a massive part in 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 strengthening the the Scottish national team. And I I, I think I think Scotland's Scotland are going to be like they're going to be strong come come World Cup definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, yeah, yeah, John Dalziel as well with the sevens, like he's he's been class as well. Yeah, but, yeah. Great stuff. Well, look, we'll, we do have um, Scotland are obviously in Ireland's group for the World Cup, so that's something that we'll be definitely keeping a keen eye on over the next couple of months. But um, Max, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And as I said, best of luck with the rest of the season and we might catch up again. All right. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Max McFarland there, Scottish Sevens International, former Clongos boy, for schools finalist, as you said. They lost to St. Michael's, he was telling us earlier. Yeah. So, um, just an interesting path, isn't it? Exactly. It's great the way we're finding the... Europe, well, to be honest, when they say we, Morris is finding all these people <laughs> that um, are just kind of like taking a different route. Exactly. And professional I, rugby. At the, on that point, I think like the... We've spoken about this on this show before. Like, there's an obsession with Irish players abroad in the regard of what could they potentially do for Ireland. Yes. As opposed to, I think sometimes a story like this is a story about a guy 
like a guy who was told did make on twenties was told you're too small for the game and is now thriving with the seven team abroad. Like that that's the like there's something nice to see an Irish guy just make it yeah. elsewhere and not not it doesn't have to be related to Ireland or not, just in its own right to see that kind of story. Like even at the weekends, um I was watching Ireland play sorry, I was watching USA play Argentina, a USA team with five different Irish guys in it, mm. like the likes of Tig Leader, Dylan Fawcett scored a try at the end of the game. Like and these are guys who like that might not necessarily be to the benefit of Ireland, but it is the benefit of them and kind of just rugby that there's yeah. like rising tides lift all boats and these are guys who probably missed out on their chance to get into an Irish setup here but have managed to go abroad and are still playing international rugby. So I just I think it's a nice kind of narrative like a, a nice arc to see it then yeah. kind of make it there yeah you grow up playing rugby there's only so many people that can make it with four first Provinces, teams yeah. and you know the, before you and you know you bring sevens into it it doubles you bring you know for other international opportunities there and suddenly you've got max going around the world on this cool bloody tour yeah. i'd say it's harrowing like it's hard enough like you've 10 rounds of it they're like you know it's a, oh, a it's lot ta- of traveling taxing, I, yeah. I wouldn't say it's easy and then as he talked about like the actual games themselves or the, the weekends themselves would be killers like yeah. you know there's so much rugby at like full speed full tilt you know they're there but at the same time like he's off to vegas in a couple of weeks and then they're going to vancouver it's you know then hong kong not a bad way to you know, your dream is to play professional rugby that's what he's doing for the rest of this year exactly you yeah. know that's not bad and uh no fair play to him i'll definitely be watching out like you know it sounds like you're blowing smoke up someone's arse talking about <laughs> that but it's like great like i know somebody on this thing now it's there you know a lot of the time it's on a good hour to watch when there's no other sport on obviously yeah. they're going to america now which will mean it'll be on probably early evening or yeah. you know you know six, six seven o'clock friday saturday evening Good time to watch a game. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't be watching it no, for Scotland. No, I, I mean, I'd definitely watch it. Yeah, the more rugby, the better. <laughs> Grand, okay. Well, listen, we'll we'll talk more about that maybe over the coming weeks once the Six Nations is over and we've got kind of quieter times. We'll we'll delve further into the Seven Series. But we do have Six Nations um, at the moment. We've had two weeks of it. You named the rolling team of the Six Nations um, last week after one round. We've now had a second round. We've had double the rugby, Morris. Yeah. And I want you to bring us through your team. Um, so for a lot of a lot of analysis and stats and thought and time and everything goes into this. Like so, this is this is scientific, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I guess <laughs> you could say that. Um, starting with fullback, Stuart Hogg. Stuart Hogg obviously drops up, but he got injured. Um, took a pretty bad knock to his shoulder, and in his place, I think I think this like he only played one game, but actually it was a game that reinforced how. Misty was when he was absent. That's Rob Carney from of Ireland, obviously. Ooh, right. And I think, like what Rob Carney does so well. I was thinking about this during the week. Like every other fullback that you watch is his. What he's doing really well is his ability to cover grass after the but the ball has left someone's boot. You know, like he yeah. he can try to cover back the kick. But Rob Carney anticipates the kick before he's it's gone there. to the boot. Like yeah, he so he's and then obviously he stood into line attacking wise. He was pretty good as well. Um, I think maybe he might have freed Scottsdale that time when he cut back in the other side but other than that I thought he was really good yeah um, I think that's probably a position that's very much up for grabs oh, though. you know like yeah. Hogg could win his way back in there's probably you know I think Elliot Daly's probably unlucky not to be in there yeah I, I would well, actually but, yeah, yeah I nearly agree with you um, Blair Kinghorn came on I actually thought he was really green in defence so Josh Adams who was one of the very few Welsh players to play two games in a row and obviously was pretty good damn finisher as well he comes in on that wing 
Johnny May stays. I don't think that needs <laughs> any explanation. <laughs> no, Johnny May uh, so can stay. Yeah. So that's how many tries? The four tries in um, two. Yeah, t- in um, two games. Yeah, um, um, and so pretty good performances in both games. So obviously that's a Scotland Scotland fullback coming out for an Irish player. Two Scottish players coming out there actually. Uh, Welsh winger and then the centres are also going to be English Slade and Tuilagi. Both stay. Yeah. Um, an interesting one on Tuilagi. I don't know if you saw it at the weekend. Nick Simons, the Mail on Sunday rugby writer went to visit the witch doctor who cured him of all his injuries. Right. So it's he had to fly over there to Fiji, get in a boat, go across a river, arrive at like a wooden hut, and he explained why there was demons following Manitoulagi around, and she'd asked him to leave him alone. And that's the reason for his return to form. Right, um, okay. So that's an option for any injured player. You should send there. Robbie Henshaw over at <laughs> yeah, this stage. <laughs> um, or one or two others, yeah. yeah. Uh, halfback partnership, Ben Youngs and Owen Farrell, both of England. I yeah. think that's... Like, I think that you have five England and uh, England players in the backs there and you couldn't really argue with it at all. The, way, yeah. the type of rugby they're playing and the two performances. We'll talk about France in a minute, but like we should talk about England. Like They were phenomenal. Yeah, Again. like it, France. It's it is hard to to talk about one and not the other. France were a disgrace, but like for England to just go out and blitz them like that, you know, seven eight days actually. They, they England got the rub of the 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 fixture green again, but like to do it after they had like been so up for the Ireland game. I talked about that all week. I talked yeah. about with you on on our fair. I didn't know if England could get back to that pitch again. Yeah, and the match was over after ten minutes. And, and what's encouraged, like from an English perspective, what you would love to see is like the same framework. Like there was the Billy Vanapola pass out the back. They did the same thing, but this time it actually did go out the back. It wasn't a dummy. Like it's it's like for if, uh, to bring it back to Ireland for a second, that the bounce back for Scottdale's try. That's something that Schmidt has done the whole time. Like you think about the England game last year, like Kenny bouncing back inside. It's like so you go left and then bounce back right yeah. off the ball. That's like that's it's just a framework. You build the right yeah. game around that framework, and there's intricacies in that that we probably and don't it's even working understand. For England yeah, at the and England yeah. are doing the same thing. Um, forwards, forwards. So starting with the back row, Louis Piccolo comes out for Josh Navidi, who's been brilliant in his last two games. Can actually is really kind of a mobile player in terms of his ability to cover, like, um, whatever about his ability to hit breakdowns, like his ability to cover ground, like. Oftentimes you're watching a support line and it's him who's running like the next up carrier. It's something Rory Best does really well as well. I think it's like it's not down to like not to, this isn't criticism. It's not down to work rate. It's down to intelligent running lines. You know, yeah. so if like he knows he anticipates where the ball is going to end up, he might slowly gravitate towards it like slightly offside, but he's on the blind side, so it doesn't really matter to catch up with that play. Automatically, like you're covering for maybe you're not having the speed to catch up with it anyway. Um, so Tipperick stays. Wilson stays. So Tipperick of Wales. Wilson, like I think he, I between Wilson and Farrell, I think for player of the tournament so far, two okay, English players. Right. I think as a back row, like he started out as an eight covering for when Nathan Hughes got injured. Yeah. He's now playing as a six. He's kind of a guy like his guy seems to love kind of getting in the mix of it. Like he seems yeah. to thrive in that kind of like relentless tack. You know his tackle counts are phenomenal, relentless rocking that kind of thing. He's it's really a kind of yeah. a, a breakdown master. England's. Finally finding a replacement for Richard Hill. Actually, you think fifteen they're, years yeah, later, they're like, finally yeah. finding a back row partnership that's actually really balanced and yeah. is working. Kind of like worryingly, like we we probably looked at it at the start of the year and thought, you know, Benjamin Paul not fit, Nathan Hughes injured, uh, yeah, and suddenly now they're seem to be really coping without yeah, that. And they've Underwood to come back in, yeah, which is, is you know, yeah, where, exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, second row, Adam Wynne Jones. I know he didn't start, but I think they 
could have lost that game if he didn't come on. The like the Italy game, we and he's retaining his place yeah, as well. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, that was like, an interesting game. It was. Actually. And yeah. Conor Shea made a really kind of. I have a lot of sympathy with him for making this point after the game. He said, "Any time Italy get close to do well, the analysis is always what did Wales do wrong? Like why why can we never look at it and say what did Italy do yeah. do right? Like he, so his point is like well you know the straight away is asked like about a Welsh underperformance. It's like why is that the yeah like what what about what Italy like within a certain extent like the for example you look back to the England game last year it was always like why are England's the, the no rook gate game like why are England's why is there now so poor or why are they overly coached it's like well why can't you apply the same kind of praise to Italy for actually thinking up to do it like yeah. the the idea of that and I actually have a I'm gonna need like a to test this out I'm gonna look at the I actually have a, like a sneaking theory about Italy I think that Conor O'Shea is planning for a huge World Cup and because of that for every single game for the last two Six Nations. This is a, like, don your tinfoil hat theory. Yeah. For every game for the last season, they've, tr- they've thrown their tactic out the window and tried something different. So, say, for example, if that's, like, a two-man boost, which is, I think is what it was at the last weekend. I'm going to have to go through and watch these games to prove this, but I'm gonna, eventually I'll do a site for it. For I'll do an article for it on site, but I think for every single game, they're trying something different. So, if it's don't engage in a ruck for against England, the next game it's, nine kicks everything and we're going to chase this down the next mm. game it's two man like a boost so you're passing out to a channel and you've got an eight with a one behind them and it's just a boost over the line and so it's constantly trying to drain out the gain line the next game it's throwing to the back of the line out and trying to swing around I think every single game there's one kind of out there tactical I, I, I was so come to the World Cup their arsenal is huge and they can do anything and they also know what works what they have down like they, yeah. they, so I, I have a, like a sneaky suspicion that uh, all of this stuff is planning for something bigger like I, I this is Highly crackpot, but eventually I'm going to go back. I'm going to get the footage. I'm going to prove this. Okay, I trust you. Um, but it is interesting, like you know, as well. If you look at like two probably decent results over the last two weeks, yeah. But this week, a, a, an actual decent performance as well. Big time. It wasn't yeah. really against Scotland. No, you know, like no, they yeah. were well beaten. But you know, as you said, if you're keeping Alan Wynne Jones in the team because there was a fear of them losing the game. The fact that he even had to come on, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, Grant Gilkirst, I thought he was poor against Ireland. I thought their pack as a whole, Scotland's pack was pretty poor. I don't think they gave their backs any platform to cut loose. And they've so got he's some... Yeah, and Courtney Laws from England is in. Courtney uh, Laws, I have to say, is one of my favourite rugby players. It's, it's I just He's just someone that I always think is brilliant whenever I see him. It, it kind of beggars belief sometimes that he isn't. Like, it's an adjective he used for so many always players. Always there. But if you look up explosive in the dictionary, yeah. it is a picture of Courtney Laws. Like, the guy is unbelievable. He, play, he brings a back row level intensity, but is still great in terms of all the stuff that you'd expect of a second or like his scrummaging and line yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Like, I think it's good enough that you could have him in instead of someone like a Cruz... Like, you know, who obviously offers that. It's like Ireland losing Devon Toner. But I think Laws is good enough in those ways that you he compensates keep for it, the yeah. dyn- dynamism and keep him in yeah. the team. For me, anyway, I don't know. Uh, I thought he cup really well this weekend. I think, yeah. um, moving on to the front row, Kyle Sinclair stays. Kyle Sinclair, who stood in as a scrum half <laughs> a bit at the weekend. <laughs> um, Geraldini also stays. I think, like, Italy, whatever about the rest, of, like, we'll speak about France maybe slightly, but whatever but the, the the signs of a good coach team is if your line out and your scrum is good uh i think france's percentage went below 70 percent in the weekend terms yeah. of the line out italy were 100 last week we're above 90 percent again this week yeah. uh that's you, no, it's also down to having a like a really accurate thrower like yeah absolutely there, yeah. i like that he's in the team and I, I i i'd probably go with you but i do think that 
considering what we talked about last week and with in terms of Hartley and stuff coming back, I think George is unlucky not to be to be in a team. I think come the end of the championship, he probably will I think be. He, yeah, I, I think he will too. I, yeah, I think he's made that jersey his own. I think yeah. like, it's been an enforced absence for Hartley, but I think George's level performance has been, he's definitely second there. Um, finally, Macavinopola, a controversial one, but Keane Healy comes in there. Probably accused of Irish bias there. <laughs> but one in fifteen, probably Irish <laughs> bias, yeah. Um I I think the impact Kinhidi has had for Ireland over the last two games, and we spoke about the resurgence in his career earlier. Yeah. But even just like the it's really kind of powerful stuff that it, it gives you a real level of confidence. Like there was um an element where you watch if you watch back the Scotland's the mistakes for the open try, a lot of it was down to their props mistake in open play. So like biting in when he doesn't need to or off the very first scrum, he missed his cue for his lift because Conor Murray is standing there. So he doesn't. he's worried that Conor Murray is going to catch, you know, like front of the line out, catch the ball. So he misses his cue to get his lift behind him. And mm. then he's into the defensive line and he misses. And Keane Healy does none of that. Like Keane Healy's rugby brain is at a level that, even though he's really solid in the, those basics, outside of that, he adds to all that as well. Yeah. So I think he's probably been one of Ireland's best performances. If you took the last two games as a whole, like I don't think he was, he was by far one of our best players against England. And even this weekend again, he nailed that down. So uh, I yeah. think he's probably deserving. Just Mako, I'd like to get his tackle count against France. But yeah, like <laughs> I mean, he probably didn't have as much to do as he did in the crazy intense game against Ireland. Yeah. But he's unlucky there. He is. Oh, I think both yeah. of the polos are unlucky. Yeah, Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I don't know. I, I I don't mean for this to be an England love fest. I just think they've been so far and away better than everybody else so far as a team in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. But look, it's an interesting team, and it wouldn't be a team of the Six Nations if we didn't disagree on some of it. So <laughs> yeah, we'll, let's see how, how much consensus we get as the weeks go on. Obviously, we've got a week break now before we get to Italy. We don't have much time left, right? But I can't not talk about. France you know yeah. like I was about to say with Italy they haven't won a game now in in coming up on four years in the championship and like there does get some people are saying that's a sign that they've gone massively backwards and I was going to say that you know it's actually more to do with the fact that there aren't as many calamities in the Six Nations anymore you don't have Scotland or Wales not being able to to kick a ball like there just there were years like yeah. that in the past but France are slipping into that category pretty quickly and i made like i was talking to um brent pope on 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 the show we're doing um this that you can hear on this podcast feed actually and we just talked briefly about france and i was like you know we don't know what to expect for them they're up and down but they do and and maybe their players all don't match each other but there does seem to be a little bit of kind of cohesion it's not the chaos of the Levermont era and it's like i couldn't have been more wrong it's more chaotic like and it just why can't they play on all these coaches who like and like in fairness it was like you had the legendary Toulouse coach Guinevez couldn't remember his name there for a second and like he didn't like add it you know he's obviously a good coach they all they're a complete sham under him as well you know I don't know what is it with French rugby but they just don't seem to be in any way cohesive or or have the ability to be cohesive see in a way like I would nearly dispute you in that when they're at their like they've got an unbelievable individual ability like in terms of the teams that they line out so when they're at their best like the South Africa game last year they're actually a really frightening team and they look like really unified and their plays are really good it's only on the other side of that like there was a there was a story this morning in Midi Olympique in France an unnamed player who quoted it was quoted as saying uh, quote it was a mess no one knew where they were meant to be on the field we were lost out there asking the bench for advice and I, I just think that's tangible like there's Should, there was a moment sorry to interrupt but this is actually the, an amazing example of this and I can't remember the player but one of the players in the first game um was told that he against um, Wales 
the referee came up to him and asked him a decision and a penalty, and he's like, "What are you talking?" Sebastian about? Sebastian like, yeah, he's like, you're the captain, the, yeah, and it's like, am I? It's yeah. like the referee knew, but the player who was made captain didn't have yeah, a clue the, after all the substitutes were made. The lock who threw that calamitous pass. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. Same, same guy, yeah. And, uh, but I think there's, there's clear evidence of that. Like when you're looking at like the, I think all the telltale signs of a team who are kind of you know, unified in their message, like a good defensive line, like are you coming up in a line together? Are you coming up with speed? Your lineup, for example. All of that stuff, they fail miserably in it. In, in all of it, like the amount of times that all England, like England, it wasn't, I know we were praising earlier, but it wasn't the most intelligent stuff you're doing. Like if you're counterattacking against a scrambling backfield, it's just made very, very easy if that is totally fractured, if there's no unit, like to the extent where, like if you're kick chasing a ball, you obviously need to take the rest of your players on field and then you come up as a line. Like, and that's just a really basic element of communication. Yeah. And either kick chasers weren't following up their own kick, so then all the other players are offside, or they were shooting up out of the line and leaving massive gaps behind them that England easily could exploit. Like there's no... It seems like there's 15 players playing for themselves yeah. and the consequence Absolutely. of that is that it's as disjointed as it was. However, however, they're a team that like lost to Fiji and you talked, you saw them more than I did in November and you said they were so up and down, it was incredible. Like, you'd expect them to beat Scotland, wouldn't you? Like, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. A, you know. because, but, but because, like, they've got such an array of talent, like, their talent yeah. is, even in their, their pack, like, uh, Bambana, who they brought in, this, like, monster prop is only, like, he's still really, really young. Uh, it's just it's a level of like inaccuracy across the board like there's no one thing that they're failing at like there's it seems to be I wonder you know these kind of comments coming out about your coach that you're only two weeks in like does that tee up a crisis after that Um, it's it's, yeah it doesn't paint a rosy picture anyway no no well look we'll see how they get on in a couple of weeks and we'll Ireland will be playing Italy like I mean the Six Nations really slows down now especially for Ireland we've got the Italy game in Rome in between it's basically you know, come on, look, we've got a month before the kind of real rugby kind of starts again with the France and, and, and Wales back to back. We'll talk a little bit more next week in a kind of a calmer environment about what Ireland are going to do. We'll know more about the injury situation and everything like that. And we'll have some more interesting things to talk about as we're kind of not as beholden to the Six Nations news cycle as we have been over the last couple of weeks. But um, and then, like... We'll be back next Tuesday. Enjoy any rugby you see between now and then. The Pro 14 is back. It's still a real thing, you know.